Welcome to Empathy Power Up, a collaboration of two people who connected during the pandemic through their love of empathy and action. Two people from very different backgrounds, helping each other find ways to love themselves, understand their experiences better, and help reverse the rise of narcissism and the divides in our communities. We will cover various topics about the human experience to help us power up on tools of empathy and emotional intelligence in the pursuit of one simple goal, create a world where people seek to understand themselves and each other. This is a learning journey amongst fellow humans. We're all just figuring out life together. White supremacy's culture's number one strategy is to make us afraid. All of its characteristics are driven by fear. We fear not being good enough, not being enough, and not being lovable. These are words by Dr. Tema Okun, whose characteristics of white supremacy culture is what we've been discussing for a few episodes now. She continues later on, white supremacy and racism are fear-based. White supremacy uses fear to disconnect us in multiple ways to disconnect us from each other across racial identities, disconnect us from each other within our racial groups, disconnect us from ourselves, Disconnect us from the earth, wind, and sky, and all the creatures that roam the earth. Disconnected from source, God, creativity, or whatever you call the wisdom we carry inside us. The culture uses fear to divide and conquer, always in the service of profit and power for the few and the expense of the many. White supremacy culture cultivates our fear of not belonging, of not being enough. Living in fear that we are not enough, our culture teaches us to fear others or hate others in an attempt, sometimes overt, sometimes unspoken, to prove to ourselves that we are okay. An easy way for us to prove that we are okay is to point the finger at those who are not okay. So, Kevin... Tell me a little bit about about what you just heard there and what comes up for you. Yeah, what comes up is this, this, as we've been talking about all these different aspects and this coming down to this fundamental thing, that fear is the common thread that connects all the characteristics of a system and culture that aims to control, maintain power, and force others to behave, live, think, believe, and love like system itself and the power itself rather than be themselves which can be part of the beauty of the system but in fact it's it's a it's a tool for control and and in a way it not only is a tool for control for others but it's a tool for where we end up controlling ourselves and sort of almost sometimes putting ourselves in a situation where we do not even continue progress it stops our progress Fear is, is a, can be used to stop progress because we are afraid to con- continue moving. Um, even this idea of, of um, n- uh, people talking about the replacement theory that we hear, and this came up recently, the, the great replacement th- theory. So I'm going to read from the Southern Poverty Law Center, uh, written by Jason Wilson and Aaron Flanagan. Um, so they wrote this and they did an analysis about the great replacement theory and it's on their website. 
the man who allegedly shot dead at least 10 people at a Buffalo, New York supermarket uh, was preoccupied by the so-called great replacement conspiracy theory. And I'm glad that they add the word conspiracy to it because that is what it is. It is a conspiracy that is built to drive people to action and work and, and act on fear. And that's something that's important. It's not facing the fear. They're acting on fear to, to potentially say, okay, I'm afraid of this. I'm going to go destroy what I think I'm afraid of and, and drive destruction. And the origins of the Great Replacement Theory comes as European roots. It's coming from France, where Renaud Camus, a, a French writer who made a lot of um, racist impacts in the world, uh, coined the Great Replacement Formulation. Camus falsely depicted non-white immigration to France from the decolonized Middle East and Africa as an attempt by a sinister, quote-unquote, re replacist elite to destroy native French demographics and culture. And his ideas were featured in books published in 2010 and 2011 and directly influenced the growth of the far-right anti-immigration European um, sort of movement that has ensued since the decades and has moved around the world in many different ways. And it's, it's a way that the colonizer controls the, the, the communities that they want to come in and oppress. And, and it's a tool that works because it is so innate to life itself because fear. And that was an evolutionary advantage as we, of having fear because when, when the world was still forming and civilization wasn't there, the people, when the people leaned into fear or the life that leaned into fear might have been protected and they, they didn't go into moments so there was an advantage in some cases like oh you know what i'm afraid of this this snake so i'm not going to track with it and maybe that's why i survived and then i was able to procreate and pass those fears down and fears not only pass through dna but pass through culture pass through the from family stories and and through uh from parents to the next generation as well so it's this idea of of that's so ingrained to life itself in we see that in dogs when they're afraid of, of fireworks, when we see that in all kinds of life in humans. And that also is a common thread across life, fear itself. And when there is a, when there isn't a real thing, and that's why this conspiracy comes up in the replacement theory is when there is the absence of a real villain, creating a narrative that is hard to prove by anyone because I can easily say, oh, this is happening, but how do we prove it? It's very difficult and it's it's so it's very hard to prove but it's easy to understand and very simple to understand by the way these people are coming here or these people are really making a lot of babies to replace you and take away your power oh very simple concept to understand very simple concept to believe but very hard to prove or figure out and that becomes that conspiracy it becomes a powerful tool and so um we see that in and in, in, because something is simple, it's easy to propagate, it's easy to understand, it's easy to tell others, each other, and, and, and absorb that. And so the, the idea navigates very fast into our communities. And it, that fear starts propagating in, uh, really fast. Um, and we see that, that then these tools are used, these fake conspiracies, these fake villains are used to drive things like eugenics when Hitler used that against Jews and 
and all of these different aspects of like, oh, they're going to come take away your jobs. They're going to come take away your income, your power, your influence, your communities, your home. And none of that is really true. The what, what reality is people, life just wants to live and thrive and just be free. And, and, and if we do that, we all can be free. And it's not a, a finite amount of cake that we can all have to share. It's everyone can have their own cake, so to speak. We're seeing this also with the with what's happening right now in our communities with uh, uh, the laws being passed against LGBTQ plus folks, trans people and the drag drag shows. It's coming from a place of fear. They're using this fake villain of they are making our children bad. They're sexualizing our children. They're doing these negative things to the children. When that's not the case, it's not true. There's no data. There's no science. There's nothing backing that up. It's And when we ask them why, or when we try to get deeper, it's there is nothing in there. And so it's, again, we see any time when someone is, you're taking away someone's rights or you're taking away someone's um, freedom, it's coming from a place of fear. It's a, it's a tool that, you know, it's a tool to control. And we see that very well in military systems. When they, uh, in the hierarchical structures, when the top level use fear, if you make a mistake, you're punished, which is again, a tool for fear. And I'm, I know this so well because my mom used the tool of fear so well. She learned from her dad. And I, even as recently, like this age, she, she will use fear to control. And I, I noticed that recently when my grandmother passed away and there was an incident and she got, she used fear to get her way. And I, I succumb to it because it is a powerful tool. Hmm. And it impacts us. It impacts us personally, our bodies. And Amy, I know like you have a lot of experience there. So we'd love to hear your thoughts on how it impacts us. Yeah, it seems like it's it's like a generational thing coming from your mom. You know, when we're talking about, you know, it's like living in our bones, right? If you look at the way of somatics and um and and you know, specifically Resma Menicum's book, My Grandmother's Hands focuses on like the trauma that lives in our bodies. And I think trauma underlying trauma is this fear that we're always reacting and we're always, you know, um, you know, our bodies are always like reacting and, 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 and traumatized in different ways. And, and that's what I wanted to do when I was thinking about this topic around fear, I wanted to understand what fear does to our bodies and fear and trauma um, kind of are connected in a lot of different ways. And so there's three big things that I, I found when I was looking at this is that number one, fear is a survival response. It is a natural and biological response that we experience because feeling that keeps us safe, right? It's coming from this, um, a time when we were, we were uh, to keep us alive and we were being hunted by other people. Now we're the ones who are hunting, right? Um, it comes from this developed part of our, at least developed part of our brain called the amygdala. And so we're in a state of reactivity, then we're purposefully responding to what's in front of us. Um, a second piece is that fear is physical. So what happens to our body? It begins um, with our thought, quickly goes to the rest of our body. The amygdala alerts our nervous system that fear response is activated. Our stress hormones of cortisol and adrenaline are released. 
our blood pressure and heart rate goes up. And then we start breathing faster. You probably can relate to that in a time when you've gotten spooked or scared, maybe at a, um, you know, at a Halloween event. Um, so what is it, well, also interesting is that your blood flow changes. So blood flows from your heart to your limbs, and it makes it easier for us to throw punches or to run. Um, and the body is really preparing us for these, one of these responses and this is uh, a lot of trauma responses come from this. You either freeze, you stay put, you fight, you start throwing punches and, and hitting and um, becoming violent. Your flight, you flee away from it, get away from where you are. And there's also feign. And, the, and that's a, a newer version of where it says where you befriend, negotiate, or bargain to help save yourself because you are in this response. So... Um, that's the third piece, but Kevin, did you have something that you, that yeah. you wanted to pause about and talk about when it comes yeah, to and, and and what it does and like all these things is it's, it makes me think is it's disempowering us. It's taking away our power, all these things, because what it's trying to do is we get into defense mechanism. So all the other things that empower us to think, to process, to understand, analyze, and make thoughtful decisions is now a body's like, nope, I want to defend and survive. So I'm going to, whatever it is, fast decisions, whatever it is, taking away that reasoning ability and, and analytical ability, logical ability. And I think that is disempowering in my opinion, because honestly, right now in the world we live in, it's so complex. We need those abilities in moments of fear, in moments of danger to react thoughtfully and carefully so that we can react quickly but do it in a way that we we remain safe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. It's it's in like, and it feels like almost every day I'm living in fear, right? Mm-hmm. It feels mm-hmm. like you know because there's always something like the Silicon Valley bank collapse, yeah. right? <laughs> right, and you're just like, I don't have money in Silicon Valley Valley Bank, but now I'm scared. I'm fearful that like the you know the the whole. Yeah financial system will collapse yeah. or my bank now do i like i honestly i'm yeah. sure other people probably thought of it but i'm like do i need to go pull my money from another bank is that going to get affected like job yeah. like my company is on a small bank so like it's another bank that supports small businesses i'm like whoa is that going to be impacted do i need to go do something about it yeah. totally yeah and you're and you're activated the whole time you know mm-hmm. And, and so the third, third thing I found out when I was going down this path of trying to figure out like, what does fear do to our body mm-hmm. is, is exactly related to this because like, after you have this whole response, your whole body is getting ready to like, like react to this thing. What happens in the aftermath of once you have fear is that you just don't bounce back, right? Fear lessens our ability to respond. Mm-hmm. So when that amygdala senses fear, that the cerebral cortex and that's the area of the brain that harnesses reasoning and judgment and that impairs us you know we're impaired for quite some time and so now it's difficult to make good decisions or even think clearly so as a result you might throw scream or throw your hands up um like if you're in a haunted house for example but you also you might not be able to rationalize that that threat is not real we're just living in that like old part of our brain, right? So that feelings of being being in fear remain. 
be with you even after that initial moment is gone and you're, you're not really able to recover. So what happens if we're in a constant state of fear is we're always, we're not able to kind of think rationally and be in the moment. And I noticed that like when I was in India a couple of years ago, and then I see this, I I talked to friends who I totally, I grew up with, I went to school with, I believe are rational reasoning people, but are, tell me things like, Oh, in in the Muslim community are having a lot of babies and we need to have babies because there it's again another version of that replacement theory showing up and I'm like wait you're reasonable people you this doesn't it doesn't compute <laughs> like I, I there's a conflict where it's like this is happening everywhere where we stop thinking and reason and we start acting toward and we lean into that when we lean into the fear not to fight it but to just feel fear yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I, I think about this in the end of the day, like we are, we're not able to, to see past it and to see, see with it. And what I've mentioned before, um, is I belong to a support group called adult children of alcoholics, uh, um, adult children of alcoholics or dysfunctional families. And what we do is we work towards healing the effects of this dysfunctional childhood and upbringing, I also have lots of dysfunction from the workplace, a lot of dysfunction um, and trauma that's I've had in my personal life too. So, but what's interesting is it's fear is everywhere in the support group. Um, underlying under this is a number of traits of an adult child or of an alcoholic. So that's somebody who's like into adulthood that has these traits because you might have learned dysfunctional behaviors. So you have a deep fear of people. And therefore you isolate so you can protect ourselves. And there's a ton of things that we fear. (laughs) There's things like uh, fear of people and authority figures, angry people, personal criticism, abandonment, shame, success, and failure, which I find it interesting. We often think of failure as something we're afraid of, but success is also a part of fear that we have. Um, And as a result, we're afraid to take action. We're kind of immobilized and don't know how to live in a world that we have experienced is unloving and harsh. So what happens is that fear keeps us in our heads. It keeps in our worries and insecurities, and it keeps us in that space where I'm never enough. That keeps me and it keeps me oppressed and it keeps me in this place where I'm like, I'm never going to get better because if I live in fear, I won't be able to see somebody else's humanity that we're not able to, to see how alike we are and how much we love each other. Because I often think, you know, when it comes to empathy and compassion, uh, what would happen if we started to love and care for each other? Like, what would happen? Like, the people in power, and I've experienced this firsthand, is like live in their own fear of what would happen if we had care and, and they, And like, rather than feared and hated each other, I really think our world would change if we really sat there and actually focused on, on love. So it's really central to this idea of creating empathy and compassion in the world. And as an ACA, the answer that I've found in this work, and I've been deeply thinking about this recently is like, the answer is to connect and share with other humans. So the answer that ACA talks about is like, you have to step out of isolation and out of fear and into the light. And, and that's 
community, right? And opening up and saying what's on your mind, what what is happening. And the idea behind all of that is like, if you open up, you you start feeling strength, hope, and and love that comes out through being in community with each other. So, and if I don't do that, and I think if other people don't do that, I'm going to keep perpetuating harm to myself and also harming others by living in a world where I feel threatened and upset. So that's an antidote that I've really um, kind of taken to heart in the work that I've done um, to help me overcome this fear of all the things that ACA has taught me that I shouldn't trust the world and I should step in and be like, trust that this community that I've built will hold me and love me. Yeah, uh, thinking about these antidotes and how do we, like, it's one of the hard, like, I feel like life is about facing fears. One of the things that we do is our life journey is about facing a fear. Maybe it is facing a, a fear of heights, facing a, getting on a plane, facing fears of um, of having difficult conversation, maybe a boss with an employee or employee giving feedback to the boss. It's, it's Life is about overcoming these fears and that's how we progress. So it's not something new. Just like the babies taking their first step, um, eating solid food, maybe a parent leaving their child for the first time alone with a babysitter and going out to take care of themselves and having an entertainment night. Eat, these are all little moments of fear that we all already doing. So it's it's first understanding that it is the hardest thing and also the thing that we do the, a lot in our lives already. So it is not something that is foreign to us. So when we do think of something that is fearful, I first look into like, what is, I've already overcome a lot of stuff. So I can do this, right? Building that, that, being honest, being transparent, that it's going to be difficult. It doesn't mean it's easy just because I've done it before. Every fear and every new interaction is difficult. It might be um, new insecurities that come up that we may not even understand. And when we don't understand something, it's it's difficult. It takes a process of, it's a continuous process of adjusting, learning, pushing ourselves into that discomfort, while maintaining safety, resting, and then repeating that again and again as we continue living life. We hear this all the time in media and movies and in motivational speeches about face your fear and like that's the way we do it. And, and, and to, to an extent, that is the way. It's um, I leaned into things like there were moments in my life where I was so afraid of like losing my husband or um, because of a certain... Uh, relationship dynamics and things and what I did is instead of running away of it and my first reaction was take control I'm like no don't do that because that's affecting me but then what I was end up doing was controlling him again using my fear to control him and so mm -hmm. I ended up um leaning is like whatever I was afraid of I'm like no I'm gonna make that happen and I'm gonna face it and it was difficult couple of years but I worked through it and I am feeling so much stronger because of it coming out of that, making it humorous, check in with yourself. What is the last fear you overcame? How did you do it? What was the system you used? the process you used? Reflection is a powerful tool in the journey towards fear because we are already, every step we take in this world, in this planet is a step we are fighting fear through because it is, it is, it is difficult. The world has so many different things that happen and randomness of it can come into play. So it is a scary world. We live with anxiety, social, emotional, personal, all kinds of different things that are impacting us. 
And we are all brave people. Life is brave. To life, to live, bravery is required. And that means we have to face our fears. So I would recommend being prepared. That means slowing down. We talked about um, what's the rush in one of our previous episodes. Let's slow down, process, knowing that there isn't one right answer, that your way can also be the way to get through the fear. And there isn't just good or bad. All of those things that are characteristics of the white supremacy system, characteristics of toxic culture, are characteristics because what it does is it moves us away from facing our fears and continue living in fear. And so accept that life is a journey through different fears and facing fear is a path to growth and finding out more about ourselves, getting to know us. And bravery is contagious. So when we do that, follow your role models because they've already done that. And so that can be an easy path towards facing those fears. Amy, what are some of the ways you figure these out? Yeah, thank thank you for sharing that piece. Something that comes to mind for me is this, this feeling that I've been having for quite some time about about being a a workaholic. And for me, I'm a recovering workaholic. It's something that I'm like so conditioned to do. Like I was working, like I've said before, I've worked 80 hour weeks and I'm used to that. But then I was running away, right? I feared all the fears that (laughs) that I had about my life. I just ran away from them and just threw that into work. But now I'm in a place where I have much more balance in my life and I'm able to to meditate, to do yoga, to do all the things that can create um, space for myself. And like one of my mentors said, you know, she's like, you should celebrate the fact that you're taking a nap every afternoon, (laughs) right? That is, that is huge. Right. And, and like, and that is, and I always, I fear that because I'm like, oh man, I'm taking a nap. Like I'm slacking on the job. Right. And this is just wild things to think about. Like, you know, even as we're talking about this, I'm like, I have to keep facing that fear of like, like stopping work. And that's fearful for me. Right. And so, you know, one of that antidotes that I mentioned is like, what I just did right now is like naming fear as it arises. You know, we're, um, we had to become more skilled at meeting our fears. So we're not manipulated by different groups of people. So you know, that's a very basic thing. We're just like, can I build awareness for myself? Can I name it when I'm hearing it? Right. Cause I never really connected, you know, um, workaholism with fear. Right. Mm-hmm. And now I have that connection and I'm now I'm going to have to st- explore that a little bit more. Um, another thing that I, I think about with an antidote is to belong to ourselves and to others. So when we start saying I belong here, I, I, um, am, you know, I'm able to like, wherever I am, I'm showing up with the best way that I can be. You start welcoming other people into it. And I see that a lot into like this community that you're in. And like, and, you know, I see that a lot in my ACA community, but also I try to create that wherever I am. And, um, you know, it, it helps to, um, you know, step up into belonging. And if we know ourselves well enough, we're able to step into our own needs and to take care of ourselves. Um, And then something that I've been thinking about, which is going along similarly to what you were saying, is that like, it's really hard to fight this, is that I realize that fear is not a problem that I can solve. There there will always be fear in the world. There's not a beginning or an end. It's not solvable. Um, But it's 
and I call it, it's a polarity that I can manage, meaning that there's two ends of a pole, fear on one side and love on the other ones. I see them as polar opposites. And so um, it's a spectrum that we have to manage between them. So it's mm-hmm. not either, I either feel fear or I either feel love, right? At the yeah. end of the day, it's it's something where it's like, can I move closer to love and away from fear? I love that closer to love. And, and also the, when, she, when you talked about the belonging and knowing that if you're in the space, you belong um, and maybe think of imposter syndrome and it's, it's a form of fear. And it's another form of fear that we end up succumbing to, because again, it's a way to control who gatekeeping imposter syndrome is used by the system to gatekeep and who comes in and who comes out. But if you're in that space and you get to the closer part of the love of yourself and sense that belonging, that makes sense. So there's this quote from Audre Lorde that sort of brings all of this together. Next, next time, ask, what's the worst that'll happen? Then push yourself a little further than you dare. Once you start to speak, people will yell at you. They will interrupt you, put you down, and suggest it's personal. And the world won't end. And the speaking will get easier and easier. And you will find you have fallen in love with your own vision which you may never have realized you had. And you will lose some friends and lovers and realize you don't miss them. And new ones will find you and cherish you. And at last, you'll know with surpassing certainty that only one thing is more frightening than speaking your truth. And that is non-speaking. So the question for you today to take back and think about is, what is the last fear you faced? And what is the next one you want to face? Empathy Power Up is produced by Amy J. Wilson and Kevin Shaw, two people who bonded over their love for creating a deeper sense of empathy in the world. You can reach Amy at realamyjwilson and Kevin at shawkevin.